Let's turn our Bible, shall we, to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. You'll find Psalm 55 right about the middle of your Bible. Let me start by saying this. In light of recent events in our country and unrest, I need to talk about them. This is going to be a bit of a different message. I need to talk about racism, riots, and the gospel. Uh, But to be honest, I'd rather not because I don't know exactly what to say and what not to say. And I'm pretty certain that whatever I say, some of you will find it unacceptable. It won't be worded just right, or I won't include something that you think that I should, and you'll find fault with it. I'm also worried that I might offend some of you. And I desperately don't want to do that. But I feel compelled. I feel compelled by the events themselves. I feel compelled to address them from a biblical worldview. I feel compelled by the Spirit. And I feel compelled by a host of thoughts that I think are worthy of being heard and considered and applied. Plus, I'm tired of rhetoric that consists of vague generalities meant to placate people instead of confront the issues. Tired of that. You know, if we just get on a stage with each other and have a conversation, everything will be all right. I don't think so. I'm also tired of the mob mentality and shallow crowd think of social media. fueled by impulse, extremists, and a lack of critical thinking, including slogans that sound good and feel good but do little good and often represent a whole lot of bad. I'm tired of that as well. And so I'm going to lay out ten thoughts that I hope addresses some of that and helps us have the mind of Christ in all of this. The mind of Christ. And instead of trying to write all these things down because they're, each of them are a full sentence, let me encourage you to just listen and soak this up. And, and if you'd like, download my notes uh, later on, uh, probably at the latest tomorrow morning, maybe sooner. Otherwise, you're going to miss a whole lot of what I'm going to say. Let me encourage you to listen and let the Lord speak. I want to pray first. Lord, I don't know exactly what to do or say, but my eyes are on you still. 
Will you give us all eyes to see and ears to hear? Will you help us to apply the essence and ethic of the gospel to all of this? Will you help us as we speak to others as well? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the first thought. Most black people live in a state of constant wariness and weariness because of the distrust they feel or experience from time to time. Most black people live in a state of constant wariness and weariness because of the distrust they feel or experience from time to time. Not all, but most. A constant state. I've never walked into a department store and noticed a security guard tailing me. Ever. They do. Maybe not every time, but enough times to cause them to look over their shoulder to see who's looking over their shoulder. We need to realize that and try to understand how weary and wary that makes them. The very thing King David expressed in Psalm 55. For our black brothers and sisters in Christ, it gives words to their heart when their heart is without words. Take a look, verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. That's how they feel. Weary and weary because of the distrust that they experience. It's the first thought. Here's the second. Instances of police brutality toward those who are black amplify feelings of fear and distrust of their own. Maybe you've thought about some of these things before, but maybe you haven't. Either way, they're worthy of thinking about and considering Instances of police brutality toward those who are black amplify feelings of fear and distrust of their own. Fear that it might happen to them. Or God forbid, even worse, to their kids. It's amplified, that fear. As is their distrust of the police in general. Instances of abusive power amplify feelings that are already there. They, they resurrect images and events of the past that cause them to wonder whether that might happen again in the present on a widespread basis. Brutality reminds those who are black of their own negative experiences with police even if those experiences weren't of such a heinous nature. It's expressed once again in verses 4 to 8. 
here in Psalm 55. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. That's how they feel. That's how they feel. And it's important that we realize that and try to understand it. Try to understand their amplified fear and trust and distrust in times like these. Because to do otherwise, especially as followers of Jesus, fails to love them as ourselves. Third, most black people are not looking for sympathy, just an acknowledgement of their plight and progress to change it. An acknowledgement of how they feel, what they experience, and what they fear. Not that we need to fall all over ourselves and lay it on thick or virtue signal to make sure that they and everybody else knows that we care. But rather that we should listen well, acknowledge their plight, and express it in a personal, genuine way. I can see why you feel and think the way you do. And it makes me ache. Is there anything that I can do to help with that? That goes a long way, a personal expression in a genuine way. But they're also looking for progress, not just words, but progress. Progress to change their plight, measured most by their personal experience. And that's the change that most black people desire, the progress that most want, they want a diminishing fear and an increasing trust, both in their heart and in ours. A diminishing fear on our part, a diminishing fear of them and an increasing trust in them. And on their part, they desire a decreasing fear of us and an increasing trust in us. which can only be accomplished by the power and presence of Jesus. Period. Only He can change our hearts. Black, white, and everyone else. And until you believe that, that only the power and presence of Jesus can change hearts, until you believe that and submit to that and submit to him, we will never make progress. Give way to the mind of Christ. Acknowledge the plight of those in distress. And grow in your love and trust for all who are made in the image of God. Fourth, 
when something happens to legitimize the fears of black people, they want others to condemn it for them and with them. When something happens to legitimize their fears, they want others to condemn it for them and with them, especially white people. And rightly so. When a black man is unjustly shot by a white man while jogging, or a black man is unnecessarily killed by a white policeman, they want people to say so. Openly and unequivocally. Without caveats, excuses, or anything else. They want that. And we should do it. We should. We should condemn those things. Sometimes silence really is compliance. Does that mean that you have to post something on social media? And do something that everybody else is doing in that respect? No. Does that mean you have to stand on the corner with a bullhorn? No. But you do have to tell someone. You do have to speak to your circle of influence. Whether it's your family or your coworkers or whoever else. And listen, just because you do, just because you say something, doesn't mean that you're agreeing with everything that everybody else is saying. It just means that you're condemning what you should, acknowledging what you can, supporting what you ought. Don't let the inference of others keep you from speaking what is explicit and wrong. Stand with them. Condemn it for them. Five. Only the lunatic fringe has failed to condemn the abuse of power in George Floyd's death. In fact, I haven't even heard of someone not doing so. One poll I heard mentioned found that 96% of Americans condemn it. And while that 4% on the lunatic fringe is still a shameful problem, I don't know that there's ever been such widespread agreement on something in our country. Not even terrorist attacks. Don't be on the lunatic fringe when it comes to condemning the abuse of power and brutality. And don't even get close to that fringe by making excuses for it. Well, the, the guy was on some sort of drugs or he was doing something wrong. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't excuse the abuse of brutality, abuse of power and brutality. Number six, too many people have failed to condemn the rioting and looting. Only the lunatic fringes failed to condemn condemn the abuse of power, but too many people have failed to condemn the rioting and looting. Or, or to say it this way, the vast majority condemn the abuse of power, but far fewer condemn the abuse of freedom, with some even condoning it. 
Don't go there either. Every single one of us, black and white, must call the rioting and looting what it is. Evil and wrong. Openly and unequivocally. Because Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe as in doomed and pitied. That's what that word means when you see it in the scriptures like that. Doomed and pitied. Better to say it like it is and call it wrong. And, and don't succumb to the thinking that, you know, the reasons for the looting and rioting somehow justify it. The, the anger somehow excuses it. Two wrongs don't make a right. Or 2,000 wrongs in this case. From destroying stores and buildings to stealing and killing. Including the killing of police officers and bystanders. It should be condemned. All of it. I'm not talking about peaceful protests at all. I'm talking about rioting and looting. Even if those who are doing it feel unheard. Rioting may be the voice of the unheard, but that doesn't make it right. Frustration is never a justification to kill, steal, and destroy. The only exception being an unjust government and unjust laws, like in communist China or North Korea these days, or Great Britain in the 1700s, or Nazi Germany in the 1930s, or our own country in the Civil War. Short of that, short of an unjust government and unjust laws, and short of exhausting all other means, it's not okay to defy the law with civil disobedience and violence. Listen to what Dr. Martin Luther King said about that in his Nobel Prize lecture of 1964. It's a long quote. He said, violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. I am not unmindful of the fact that violence often brings about momentary results. Nations have frequently won their independence in battle. But in spite of temporary victories, violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more complicated ones. Violence is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends up defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. Unquote. 
Rioting and looting is evil and wrong. Just like the abuse of power that killed George Floyd is evil and wrong. Condemn both. Number seven, to the extent that you fail to call all wrongdoing sin, you diminish your voice and perspective on what you do call wrong. If you call the death of George Floyd sinful, wicked, and wrong, as you should, but you condone or soften your response to the rioting and looting, you diminish your voice on the former, and vice versa if you're on the lunatic fringe. Don't do that. Be heard on all fronts. Call it all wrong. Police brutality, abuse of power, vigilante justice, destruction of property, wanton violence, senseless killing, all of it. King David did. Verses 9 to 11, Psalm 55. Take a look. Destroy, O Lord, he said. Divide their tongues, as in disrupt the communication and conniving of those in opposition who are doing wrong things. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He lamented for himself, King David did in verses 1 to 8, and he condemned the rioting in verses 9 to 11. Both and. Failing to call it all wrong, including the looting, is a poor rationalization and a blatant accommodation of lawlessness. The very thing that sparked all this in the first place. Don't do that. Let your voice and perspective be heard instead of ignored by calling all wrongdoing sin. Three more. Number eight. We must distinguish between those who are sinful and those who aren't. We must distinguish between those who are sinful and those who aren't. Just because some people are racist doesn't mean all people are racist. And we need to distinguish between the two or we will come to the wrong conclusions as a society and take the wrong actions. Same for police officers. Just because some have abused their power doesn't mean all do. In fact, the vast majority don't. And likewise, those who are black. Just because some resort to criminal behavior doesn't mean all do. The vast majority are good, upstanding citizens. Black, white, or blue, we need to distinguish. 
We need to distinguish in our thinking, our hearts, our speech, and our actions. We need to distinguish between those who are sinful and those who aren't. Otherwise, we will succumb to racism. We will succumb to stereotypes. And we will succumb to fear. Every single one of us. We must distinguish. Number nine, we must base our thoughts and conclusions on facts and truth, not feelings or ideology. Facts and truth, not feelings or ideology. Because feelings and ideology tend to cloud our thinking instead of clarify it. They tend to lead us to wrong conclusions instead of right ones. I once served on a, on a jury with a woman who had been attacked by a man earlier in her life, a decade earlier. And it clouded her entire thinking about men. They were all bad. End of story. Because she allowed her feelings to determine her thinking instead of the facts. Or how about those who think that all black people are looters because that's who they see doing most of the looting? Or those who think all white people are racist because the two go hand in hand according to some ideologies? We can't do that. Not if we're going to live well. Not if we're going to love one another. Not if we're going to flourish as a society. We must base our thoughts and conclusions on facts and truth. Frederick Douglass spoke to our tendency in this respect in 1883. He was a civil rights pioneer in the days both preceding and following the abolition of slavery. And on the occasion of a Supreme Court decision that threatened to undermine the civil rights of black people in his day, he said this, the temptation at this time is, of course, to speak more from feeling than reason, more from impulse than reflection. More from feeling and impulse than reason and reflection. It was the temptation then, and it's the temptation now to give greater weight to our feelings and lesser weight to the facts, even if we care to find the facts. Greater weight to ideologies and mantras being repeated and lesser weight to the truth, the data, the experience of the whole. We must base our thoughts and conclusions these days on facts and truth, not feelings or ideology. Otherwise, we are doomed. And then number 10, and most important of all, 
the only thing that is going to heal wounds and restore trust is the essence of the gospel. The only thing that is going to heal wounds and restore trust is the essence of the gospel. Forgiveness, repentance, love, and grace. That essence. Repentance for anything racist you've ever thought or done. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of, that's everlasting. No repentance, no peace. Not in your soul and not in our country. And the same is true of forgiveness. Another part of the gospel. Forgiveness for those who have wronged you even when they haven't apologized. No forgiveness, no peace. At least not in your heart. And probably not in our culture either. Same for love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Whether you're white and your neighbor's black or you're black and your neighbor's white. Love them. Love them. It's the essence of the gospel, the essence of Jesus' love for us. Repentance, forgiveness, love, and last but not least, grace. Grace. It's the only thing that's going to heal wounds and restore trust. Grace upon grace. Upon grace upon grace. Grace when you've been offended. Grace when you've been wronged. Grace when you've been hurt. Grace that reaches out. Grace that includes. Grace that shows deference. Grace that blesses. black or white, if we continue to hold grudges, demand vengeance, and think less of one another, we're done. We're done. Our culture as we know it will end. And it will be replaced by a tense tribalism, complete with even more geographic segregation and a restriction of all our rights and livelihood. We must return to the essence of Jesus, the essence of the gospel. Believers and unbelievers alike, it's the only way that we will heal, trust, and endure the failures along the way. The only way. Let's pray.